Luke 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 21. This is the word of the Lord. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days... When he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is God's word. Let's go to him now in prayer. Oh, Lord, our God, we love you and we thank you for Christmas. This, uh, this story is just so, so mind-blowing. It's very familiar to us, certainly. And yet we are overwhelmed by your grace and by your love. Hear our prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When we do Christmas lights, they look something like this. But when God does Christmas lights, they look something like this. Whenever I see Christmas lights, I wonder, is this what the shepherds saw? Whenever I see Christmas lights, I wonder, is this what the multitude of heavenly hosts looked like? When I hear Christmas music, I wonder, is this the music that the shepherds heard on the first Christmas Eve? Did did it sound anything like Gloria in Excelsis Deo, glory to God in the highest? 
when I go outside to pick up my Amazon packages and discover that it is a wintry 72 degrees outside. I wonder, were the shepherds cold? Did they have a fire? Whenever I think about the miracle of the incarnation, God made flesh, I wonder how much did the shepherds understand? How much did Mary and Joseph understand? How much did the villagers understand? How much do we understand? Maybe we understand a little bit less than we think that we understand. Remember, this was the very first Christmas. They didn't grow up going to Christmas pageants and singing Christmas carols. This was all happening to them in real time for the very first time. Now, we know that Christmas Eve was a holy night, but was it a silent night? Well, probably not. Between the shepherds and the angels and a teenage mother giving birth and a crying baby, the very first Christmas was probably one of the noisiest nights in the history of the world. So why did it happen just like this? Why do we still celebrate the birth of Jesus 2,000 years after he was born in the little town of Bethlehem in the hill country of Judea? What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? These are some of the questions we'll be asking this morning as we continue our Advent series on the songs of Christmas by looking at some of the most famous Christmas stories in the Bible, this one from Luke chapter 2. This morning we turn to one of our most famous, uh, familiar passages in the whole Bible. This story has it all. It has the Christmas angels and it has the Christmas shepherds. It has politicians and taxes. This story has some of the most memorable words and phrases in the Christmas story. If you grew up reading this story, particularly in the, the King James Bible, you may remember some of them. In this story, we learn that Mary was great with child. I love that phrase. Is there a better description than that? She was great with child. We learn that Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes or swaddling cloths before Mary laid him in a manger. Before this story, I wouldn't have even known what a manger is, much less swaddling cloths. We learned it happened this way because, sadly, there was no room for them in the inn. Isn't that one of the most tragic details of the whole Christian story? There was no room for Jesus in the end. Now, you probably know a little bit about the shepherds, a, a ragtag band of swarthy ne'er-do-wells, usually played by a ragtag band of elementary schoolers wearing bar borrowed bathrobes. You probably know a little bit about the angels, a multitude of heavenly hosts glorifying and praising God, an army of very large, very intimidating celestial beings, usually portrayed by an army of very small, very unintimidating elementary schoolers with pipe cleaner halos and cardboard wings. You probably know the angel of the Lord came upon them, and you probably know that the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and as you probably know, they were sore afraid. Or as 
the great immortal words of fourth grader Krista Wilcox in my favorite Christmas pageant that I ever had as a kid said, they were sure afraid. (laughs) You can't argue with her, they sure were. More likely than not, you have a nativity scene like this somewhere in your home. Most of my neighbors, I counted five yesterday, have nativity scenes out on their front lawns, which, if you're going to have a nativity scene, is probably the most historically accurate place to put it, given the fact that there was no room for them in the inn. You've probably even heard the angels' song. If you were paying attention, we sang it this morning. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill towards men. So what can I possibly say that has not already been said about the greatest Christmas story ever to be told? What new information can I possibly hope to give you this morning? Probably not a lot. So, I want to take a slightly different perspective this morning. What we're going to do is we're going to spend most of our time focusing on just one verse. A verse that Gary referenced in his prayer. Verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy which will be for all the people. That's basically a one-verse summary of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is a one-verse summary of everything that we believe about who we are and who God is and why Jesus matters 2,000 years after he was born. Good news of great joy for all the people. Then, with our remaining time, I want us to see how the people responded to the angel's message. How did the shepherds respond? How did the villagers respond? How did Mary, the mother of Jesus, respond? How should we respond to the good news of Christmas? Now, that's a lot, and we need to get started. So if you're taking notes, here's our outline. I want us to kind of frame all of that around two big questions that we'll be asking of the text this morning. First big question, very simple. What did the angels say? What did they say? And second big question, how did people respond to what the angels said? So what did the angels say? And then how did people respond? By the time that we're done, I'll hope that you will see that the gospel is good news that brings great joy to all kinds of people. It inspires us to wonder and ponder and worship our great and mighty Savior King. All right, let's take a closer look at the angel's song, Glory to God in the Highest. First big question, what did the angels say? Verse 10, and the angels said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy for, that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, let's, that's a lot. Let's unpack that. First, according to the angels, before the gospel is anything else, before the Christmas story is anything else, it's good news. 
As I was studying the passage this week, I came across a story about a pastor who pastored a small church in northern England. It was first told by Charles Spurgeon. And in the story, he tells a story about this pastor who was pastoring this little church. And there was a woman in the church who was very poor. In fact, she was low on funds and she couldn't pay her rent. And so the, do- the deacons came up to the pastor and said, Pastor, I think we need to take a collection up for this woman so that we can help her to pay the rent. The pastor was very enthusiastic about this. He said, yes, let's do it. So they took up a collection, and wouldn't you know it, they raised more than enough for this woman to pay her rent from that month through the end of the year. It was incredible. Now, the pastor was very excited about this, so first thing on Monday morning, he went over to the lady's house, and he knocked on her door. Nothing. Silence. He thought, well, maybe she didn't hear me, so I'll knock again. A little bit louder this time. No one came to the door. He kind of poked his, uh, poked his uh, eyes into the windows to maybe see if there was some movement in there, but he didn't say anything. So he said, I'll try one more time. Still, no one came to the door, and so the pastor decided that he would go home. Well, the next Sunday morning, there she was, sure enough, in her normal spot. And so the pastor came to her, and he said, I'm so sorry I missed you on Monday. I came by to your house. I knocked on the door. We we raised funds for you to pay your rent. It's taken care of for the end of the year. Again, I'm so sorry I missed you, but, but here it is. Here's the good news. And the lady said, what time did you come? And he said, well, it was probably around 9 o'clock. And the woman looked down, somewhat disheartened, a a little bit embarrassed and afraid. And she said, I was in the house. I heard you knocking, but I didn't come to the door because I was afraid. I thought that you were my landlord, and I thought that you had come to collect the rent. and, And I couldn't pay. My friends, how many people... Never open the door when Jesus knocks because we assume that Jesus has come to collect the rent. We assume that we owe God an infinite debt. We owe our neighbors an infinite debt. We owe him our joy and our obedience and our passion and our generosity and our faithfulness. And then we look at our lives and we look at who we actually are and we see how far short we fall of the glory of God and we say, I can never pay this debt. I can never possibly hope to pay the debt that I owe. What if I told you that Jesus didn't come to collect the rent? What if I told you he came to pay the rent? What if I told you that Jesus came on that first Christmas Sunday to do for us what we could never do for ourselves? That he came to pay the debt of our sin by living a perfect life and dying a sacrificial death for us on the cross In our place, what if I told you that Jesus paid it all? And therefore, the debt that we owe to him is not a debt of of righteousness, but a debt of gratitude and joy and peace as we celebrate 
what he has done for us. The question is, will you open the door when he knocks? Will you open the door and receive the gift of God's grace, the gift that Jesus came to bring that very first Christmas morning? Or will you, like the woman in the story and like the shepherds when they first encountered the glory of a God that they didn't yet understand, will you hide from him in fear? This Christmas, let me urge you, open the door. Open the door to his love. Open the door to his forgiveness. Open the door to his joy. Open the door to his peace. Peace that surpasses all understanding. Verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Who is Christ the Lord. But that's not all the angels said. According to the angels, Christmas is also a time of great joy. There's a reason that Christmas is one of the most joyful times of the year. There's a a reason that Christmas is a time for laughter and joy and celebration and singing. Here's how Isaac Watts put it in his famous Christmas hymn, Joy to the World. In verse 1 we read, Joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth Receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Now here's where it gets interesting. Verse 3. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Now what, what on earth is Isaac Watts talking about in verse 3? The curse Thorns, heaven, and nature sing? Why would nature need to sing? In what sense is nature happy about Christmas? Would you ever uh, go up and, and wish one of your shrubs a Merry Christmas? That seems like an odd thing to do. What is Isaac Watts getting at? Here's what he's saying to us. He's reminding us that Jesus came to undo everything that Adam and Eve did when they sinned in the Garden of Eden. He came to give us joy by taking away our fear. Genesis 3 tells us that after Adam and Eve sinned, God came looking for them. Like the young pastor in England, God came knocking, and like the woman who couldn't pay her rent, Adam and Eve were hiding. Now, when God found them, and this is just a side note, but when God's looking for you, he will always find you. You're wasting a bit of time hiding from him today or any other day, but I digress. So God comes, and he finds them, and they're hiding, and he says, Adam and Eve, where were you doing? What were you hiding from? And Adam says this, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I hid myself. Why? Because I was afraid. Adam and Eve were as afraid of the glory of God in the Garden of Eden as the shepherds were when they saw the glory of God and the multitude of the heavenly hosts. Why? Because of sin. Because of sin. They were afraid that God would punish them. They were afraid that God would see them as they really are, warts and all, totally exposed, that he would reject them. That he would abandon them. 
that he would say, you're not good enough. Your parents were right. Your ex-husband or your ex-wife, they're right. You're no good. Your fourth grade teacher who told you that you were stupid, she was right. You have nothing in and of yourself. You might as well run. You might as well hide. You might as well be captured by fear and guilt and shame. Now, is that true? Is there something broken about us that is unfixable by the God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth? No. What did the angels tell the shepherds on that first Christmas Eve? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Fear not, our Savior is here. Fear not, the second Adam is here. Fear not, you are no longer slaves to sin. Fear not, I have covered you, not with fig leaves and not with animal skins, but I have clothed you in the righteousness of my Son, your Savior. Fear not, you are loved. Listen to what the Apostle John said. You remember him? In 1 John chapter 4, he said this, There is no fear in love, for perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love God because God first loved us. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what Christianity is all about. God first loved us. It's good news that brings great joy for everyone who believes in Jesus and receives his perfect love. Love that covers us. Love that cleanses us. Love that satisfies the law's demands. Love that silences the voice of the accuser. Whether that accuser be out there in the world, in the form of other people, or even the devil or demons himself, or whether that voice be in us, in our doubts, and in our insecurities, and in our fears. He silences it. That's good news, which brings great joy. To whom? To all kinds of people. Verse 10, and the angels said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, in saying all the people, Luke isn't saying, sadly, that all people will be saved. Some people will not be saved. He is not saying that all people will have joy at the coming of Jesus. If you read the Christmas story, you'll discover that there were many, many people who were not overjoyed at the thought of Jesus coming as the Savior of the world. Herod being one of them. Later on, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders. Many people were angry and upset at the life and teaching of Jesus. So what is Luke saying? He is saying that salvation is for all kinds of people. Just look at the Christmas story. God's grace is for people like the shepherds, people who were on the lowest rung of the societal ladder. These were essentially day laborers. 
These were people without any paperwork. These were people who couldn't be accounted for. They were here one day and gone the next. Probably if you saw a shepherd, you wouldn't even make eye contact with a shepherd. That's how low they were in the first century. God's grace is for people like Mary, for single moms who believe the promises of God. There is grace for you. God's grace is for people like Joseph, a working class guy, a carpenter, blue collar man who had nothing materially in the world, but he did have Jesus. And God's grace is for people like the wise men, rich and powerful dignitaries who gave Jesus expensive gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, things that no ordinary person could, could afford on an ordinary person's salary. God's grace is for them. Here's the point. No matter who you are, rich or poor, young or old, man or woman, black or white, no matter what you've done, no matter what you will do, Christmas is for you if you believe, if you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you follow him as your great and mighty king, God's grace is good news of great joy for everyone who believes. That leads us to our second big question, and it's this. How did people respond to this? How will you respond to what the angels said to the shepherds? Well, in this story, the villagers wondered. Verse 18, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. They were amazed. They said to themselves and probably to one another, how could this be? Could this really be true? Could the Savior of the world really be born in the little town of Bethlehem? So far from Jerusalem, the capital city, so far from the temple, so far from the palace, so far from Rome, which was the, the center of power in the ancient world, how could this be? Who is this baby? What does it all mean? Now, if you're relatively new to Christianity, this is a great place to start. Faith begins by wondering. Ask yourself, is it really possible that God could love me so much that he would send his son to die on the cross for me? Is it possible? Could that really be true? Well, you think about it, doesn't the Christ Christmas story change everything that we think that we know about God? Doesn't it change everything that we think that we know about ourselves? Doesn't it change everything that we think we know about this world and our neighbors and heaven and everything? Isn't it the most revolutionary story in the history of the world? It is. Is there a more perfect, elegant, beautiful solution to the problem of sin and suffering than the sacrificial, life-giving love of God? If you wrote this story, would you write it like this? Would any human being without the influence of the Holy Spirit write the story like this? Could it really be true? A little bit of a life of faith starts with wonder, amazement, but it doesn't end there. For her part, Mary heard the good news of Christmas and she pondered, verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things pondering them in her heart. 
Mary began with wonder. Could it really be true? And then she moved on to pondering, to meditating, to applying the truths of the gospel to her situation and her life. She made her faith personal faith by meditating deeply on the promises of God. If you want to grow in your faith this year, as we come up on a new year, 2024, if you want to grow in your faith during this Christmas season, you have to move from wondering to pondering. You have to think about the implications of what the gospel is saying. If Jesus truly is our Savior, what does that mean for us? How does it change the way that we see ourselves? How how does it enable us to enjoy the goodness of God. If Jesus really is our King, the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, our Lord, what does that mean for us? What does it mean on Monday morning as I begin to make decisions for my week? What does it mean that Jesus is my King? How do I find true happiness by glorifying Him? This Advent season is a great time for thinking and for journaling and for praying and for fasting and for pondering the promises of God. When you do that, your faith will come alive and your whole life will change for the better, I promise you. That leads to our last response, the response of the shepherds, and that's worshiping. Verse 20, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told them. That's why we're here. (laughs) Christmas would not be Christmas without praise and worship. Christmas would not be Christmas without the candles and the carols. Christmas wouldn't be Christmas if we couldn't go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. And if you're new to the area, you should know that our church is located on the highest mountain in cantonment. So you've come to the right place. Verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. If you believe in Jesus, you have peace. If you believe in Jesus, then God is pleased with you. Imagine that. He doesn't merely tolerate you. He doesn't look and say, oh, what's he going to do today? What's she going to say today? He is pleased with you. Praise him for what he's done. Praise Him for what He's doing. Praise Him for what He will do when He returns in the clouds of heaven surrounded by even more angels than the shepherds saw and more glory than the shepherds could ever ask or imagine or dream or contemplate. That's what Christmas is about. It is good news. It is good news of great joy which is for all kinds of people. It makes us wonder and ponder and worship the King. Glory to God in the highest. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Christ the Savior is born. Let's go to Him in prayer. Our great and glorious God, we thank You for the wonder of Christmas 
We thank you for the good news that you have done for us what we can never do for ourselves. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for the gift of everlasting life. Oh, Lord God, if there's anyone here gathered here this morning or listening to the sound of my voice who has not yet opened the door who is hiding in fear, thinking that you have come, Lord Jesus, to collect the rent, the rent that we could never pay. I pray, Lord God, that they would open the door this very morning and that they would receive the super abundance of your grace, which you have given us through Jesus. We are overwhelmed with gratitude. I pray, Lord, that you would change our hearts. Lord, cast away all of our fears and our worries as we approach this Christmas season. May we respond with wonder and thoughtful consideration and deep heartfelt worship. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.